0: I'm Mark Anthony and this is Demolition News Radio. And we're in Japan. Now there's a sentence I never thought I'd say. Before I go on, I just want to explain exactly what it is I'm trying to do with this episode. Unlike normal episodes, which are always scripted, this one will be a stream of consciousness. I'm in Japan, or Kobe to be be, uh, absolutely precise, for the European Demolition Association Study Tour of Japan. Um, I'm coming as a guest of Caterpillar, and Finney, the UK dealer, um, and this this podcast really is an audio capture of, of some of the things I see, some of the things I hear, uh, just to, to give you an idea of, of what the study tour was about. Now, I'm recording this on a Wednesday um, before the event, or my part of the event starts officially. So, I've taken a bit of a day out, or half a day out, um, and I'm in, as I say, I'm in Kobe. I've taken the ropeway up to uh, the herb gardens. Uh, to have a look around there, mainly to get some photographs of Kobe itself from on high. I think it's worth noting at this point that I've been travelling for business for more than 30 years. I've, I've been to quite a few places in that time. This is the first time I've ever actually prepared for um, cultural differences. Um, obviously the the Japanese culture is very unique and they have some very um, traditional ways of doing things minor things like handing over and receiving business cards with two hands uh, bowing to to acknowledge status and and that kind of thing so I've actually read up on that, Uh, I've also read up on a bit of the language Uh, I can say a few words but as it turns out A lot of them speak English, which is very handy for me because I speak Japanese with a Cockney accent. Um, One of the harder things, I think, is is actually understanding the written language, which is completely alien. I mean, there's there's nothing within the Japanese written language that I understand at all. So finding your way around is is not particularly easy. But all that's an aside. I think one of the things that, that I'm here to see, really, and I think it's the reason behind the EDA study tour is the fact that Japan and and the Japanese demolition business has evolved in uh, a bubble. Japan obviously is an island, um, an island nation, and I think they've developed a demolition industry that is kind of unique to itself. And the the European Demolition Association and its members have decided to explore and embrace some of those cultural differences uh, and industry differences by coming over to find out what the Japanese do, how they do it better than us, how they do it worse than us, and and to ob- obviously trying to embrace some of those some of those improvements. I'll be finding out a bit more about that as, as the tour, tour progresses. Uh, we've got a couple of days where we're going on uh, the bullet train, we're going down to uh, Tokyo as well. Um, we're also seeing some new Caterpillar equipment. We're going to a Caterpillar factory where there's about 80 machines um, taking down an old Caterpillar factory. I think, I- I'm guessing most of those will be Caterpillar. Okay, a few things. Um, I've mentioned already the fact that there are a good many cultural differences between Europe and, and Japan. Uh, here's a few things that I've, I've noticed since I've, I've arrived. One of those is the fact that the Japanese are almost unbelievably polite. Everything is done with, with great politeness and dignity. Um, for, as an example, uh, I checked into the hotel last night. And a guy was checking out at the same time that I was checking in. Uh, he's quite a fat guy, not that, that has any bearing on the story whatsoever. But all the time that the, um, the receptionist was speaking to him, he basically ignored her. Um, she was constantly smiling, handed over his bill with two hands, handed over some other information with two hands, uh, bowed constantly, um, smiled constantly, even though the guy completely ignored her. Um, I guess in... The, I guess I'm used to service in the UK, that would have been greeted with muttering under the breath and, and possibly turning to a colleague to say what a rude guy he was. The Japanese, not so much. They This, this young lady took it all in her stride um, and just proceeded to be as, as helpful and as polite as is humanly possible. A couple of other things which I, I guess you see at a distance if you don't live in Japan or, or you don't mix with Japanese people very often face masks. Face masks are a really big deal. I, I wish I had a slice of the face mask business here in Japan because it seems like everybody seems to be wearing a face mask. And, and I'm led to believe, and I don't know if this is true, this might be apocryphal, but I'm led to believe that it's not a matter of keeping germs out, it's more a matter of keeping germs in. Uh, if that's the case, I guess that just speaks to the Japanese politeness. If they've got a cold, they want to keep it to themselves and not spread it around, which is you know, unheard of where I come from. Uh, I I spent half my life on trains with people coughing and spluttering, so um, yeah, I I, I have to say hats off to them. And I'm I'm recording this, as I said earlier, in the herb gardens. I'm looking out over the Bay of of Kobe, um, which is just stunningly beautiful. Even though Kobe is partly industrial, there's lots of container terminals by the sea, but this this is absolutely beautiful where I am. And the temperature today is, is somewhere around about 28, 29 degrees. I guess that's about 85 to 90 degrees in old money. And at the base station of the ropeway, which has taken me up to the top of this mountain, is an umbrella rental shop, which, where I come from, umbrella rental, for one thing unheard of, but for another thing, you you tend to associate umbrellas with rainy days and cold days. It's bright, it's sunny, and the umbrella rental station is doing a roaring trade today. Again, I I guess that's just another peculiarity of of, of Japanese life and Japanese culture. Um, But it's it's absolutely fascinating. I I don't think I've ever felt quite as foreign as I do today. But as I say, the people are are incredibly polite, incredibly kind and incredibly generous. While I feel out on a limb, I guess, from a language perspective, I feel like I've I've been warmly welcomed. Um, And I, I, I love the Japanese people for that. Now, as I said earlier, I, I, I'm here to explore and, and hopefully embrace some of the, the differences between Japanese culture and, and Japanese ways of doing things, and the European way. Um, on the way here from the airport yesterday, I, I spotted something which, to my European eyes, seemed very, very odd. Um, there were some roadworks taking place on a, a fairly major highway, so three lanes in either direction. Um, now, where I come from in the UK, and, and possibly in, in most of Europe, you would have the, the entire lane demarked with um, cones, and you'd have flashing signs and that kind of thing. Well, they, they had a few cones, not as many as we, we would have deployed in the UK, but they had quite a few cones there. But rather than flashing lights, they had four guys in hard hats and blue and white uniforms, each with a red flag warning traffic. Um, to, to avoid the, the one lane where there were roadworks taking place. Which is a you know, it's a fine idea and I guess if you, if you have that level of people to do that kind of work, that's a marvellous thing. But what struck me as really bizarre was the people that were doing the waving of the flags were actually stood in the road, um, which would basically contravene every single health and safety standard that we have in the UK and, and, and most of Europe as well. Now as anyone that's followed the, uh, the Dem- Demolition News radio podcast will know, I, I have no place for um, racial stereotyping or stereotyping of any kind, but again, something I've just noticed, I've just queued for the second ride up um, the mountain on mm. the cable car and I was in a queue of probably a hundred, possibly even hundred and fifty people. As far as I could see, I was the only Westerner in the queue and I was the tallest in the queue by probably four, if not five or six inches. Um, I'm five foot 10. So, so the, the, this conception that, that the Japanese people aren't particularly tall generally, I know we've had Japanese basketball players and that kind of thing, but the fact, or the suggestion that they're not particularly tall, based on my, my very, very small um, study <laughs> of 150 people, yeah, I'm, I'm actually quite a tall guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. Never been tall before. Now I guess it's worth stating at this point um, the main purpose of my visit. Obviously there is a European Demolition Association study tour going on um, and one of the key sponsors of that is Caterpillar. Um, Caterpillar as we've reported on Demolition News and in the Demolition Magazine recently is really re-emergent within the demolition industry. They they have a a renewed focus uh, within the area. And as a result, we've got the uh, 340 Straight Boom excavator, which I reported on recently. Um, I'm hoping to see the 340 Ultra High machine while I'm here. And apparently there's one other, even larger machine um, that we might get to see while we're we're in Japan. My role here, I guess, while I'm here as a a guest of of Caterpillar and of their UK dealer, Finney. Um, I think it's worth stating for the record that they have... Effectively paid for me to be here. Um, they are sponsoring my trip. They've paid for my my flights and my accommodation. Um, but they've they've been very 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 laid back. Um, they've obviously want me to uh, capture and document exactly what it is that I see here. Um, and, and I'm here specifically for the caterpillar portion of the trip. Um, I didn't get to see the, the Hitachi factory, for example. Not that that's a big problem, um, but. Effectively Caterpillar have asked me to document my visit to Japan But they've not insisted that I I put a Caterpillar slant on it They've not asked for any particular indulgence on my part So anything that I I record audio record video and write and I I expect I'll have a lot to write about this um, Will be as independent as Demolition News always is Um, So yeah, I, I at this point, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm thanking them face to face. But I, I wanted to say thank you to, to both Caterpillar and Finning for making this trip possible for me. Um, it's also worth noting, um, which I, I I plan to do anyway, and I've I've already done on Instagram, is is just highlighting, you know, Japan's place in in my, in my specific world. Um, I used to work on a magazine called Contract Journal way back in the in the late 1980s. Um, and I was invited to Japan uh, by a crane company at the time. I was still, I was writing about all different types of plant at the time. And a crane company invited me to Japan. And about two weeks before I was due to go, I contracted shingles. So I couldn't make it. And a, a colleague of mine had to step in at the last minute. About two years later, I was invited again by an excavator manufacturer this time. Uh, and I couldn't make that one either because it coincided with me getting married. And I decided that getting married was perhaps more important than seeing a few excavators. Uh, The fact that I'm still married now probably suggests that my my decision was the right one. Um, But Japan has always been lurking in the background for me, not not just because of uh, personal reasons, as I say, because I missed out twice, but because of its importance in the construction and demolition equipment world. If you cast your mind back not so very long, I mean, a lot of the western excavator manufacturers, for example, really stepped up and and really started to improve their hydraulic excavator game via joint venture and badging uh, agreements with with some of the japanese manufacturers the likes of sumitomo and mitsubishi back in the 80s and 90s i think also um, from an attachment perspective some of the japanese manufacturers i'm I'm thinking okada and npk again uh, have been setting some of the the world standards Um, so japan looms large on the construction and demolition equipment market so I'm fascinated to be here as I say from a personal and from a cultural point of view but also from a, a work point of view and just in case you're wondering I'm, I'm sat in a, a garden in Kobe still um, and there are Japanese people chatting away right in the background and <clears throat> fair play to them it's a lovely day I hope they're having a great time So here's one of the shortcomings I guess of any kind of media be it photographic, video or in this case mm. audio I've just walked past or I'm walking through um, the Kobe Herb Garden and part of it is actually separated into um, cooking herbs and fragrant herbs. I've just walked through the Fragrant Herb Bar and it's full of uh, oregano and mint and lavender and coriander and it was like walking through the greatest restaurant you've ever been to. Um, I've not long since had breakfast but I'm absolutely starving hungry now. Um, I'm making my way down to uh, what they refer to as the glass house and if you check out our Instagram story for today you'll be able to see exactly what that looks like. Um, Hopefully there'll be a a restaurant there where I can actually sample some of these herbs. I'm slowly making my way down the mountain as we speak. I'm walking down rather than taking the cable car um, and I'm now in the lavender garden which as you can imagine smells incredible. There is a faint irony to me being in Japan, my, my son, Fred, who's a, an integral part of Demolition News and Diggers and Dozers team these days, is a way better photographer than I am and a way better videographer than I am. Um, and he's also very, very much into Japanese culture, um, anime and, and manga and, and all the, uh, the Japanese comic books and Japanese movies and, and art house movies and that kind of thing. Um, he would absolutely love it here, all apart from one thing. I'm standing in the uh, lavender garden and I've just seen a bee or a wasp or a flying, (laughs) a flying insect that was absolutely massive, Um, (laughs) given that he's terrified of of bees and wasps in the UK, he would have absolutely hated this part of it, Um, that being said, I'm not sure whether I would have dragged him to a herb garden if he'd been here anyway, Um, but yeah, he'd have absolutely hated this. Again, going to back to the idea of um, the way that we perceive the Japanese to be, and, and one of the things that's, that's really struck me is I've always seen them as a very um, busy race, um, rushing here and there, and certainly from a, from a service point of view, when the receptionist at the hotel runs to fetch your bill or runs to fetch your, your room key, um, the staff in the restaurants are you know, rushing around, one of the nice things about being in this herb garden at the moment is that the Japanese do have a second gear as it turns out, they are very, very good at strolling, in fact I've not seen anybody stroll quite so slowly as, I, as when I spent um, the second part of my honeymoon in Barbados. They're quite happy to take minutes to walk a few hundred yards and just take in the atmosphere and fair play to them, I think that's one of the things that we, we could certainly learn, well certainly in the UK. I've always admired the Italians and the French and the and the Spanish with their siestas and their two-hour and three-hour lunches. Something that we've we've never really got in in the UK. You know, we're we're a nation that likes to eat at our desks and work 12 hours a day. We've got it all wrong. This idea of strolling around a herb garden, taking in the sights and the smells, and 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 just enjoying enjoying, enjoying life. It's the way forward. The Japanese have got that one so right. Just following on from that last point. When was the last time? you enjoyed a moment of silence Now I realize in demolition we don't generally work in a silent environment but I don't think I do in my private life either and yet I'm, I'm here admittedly I'm, I'm up a mountain and I'm saying the word mountain in inverted commas it's it's more of a very 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 big hill um but th- there are periods here where it's completely silent apart from the sound of birdsong in the background and it's really really nice um I mean I, I In the UK I I like to go fishing and I guess a part of that is is the fact that it's quiet but it's never as quiet as it is here, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, I'm starting to sound like an ageing hippie here but being surrounded by by the sights and smells and sounds of nature, it really is the way forward. It's something that we we should all embrace I think. Apologies in advance if I sound a little out of breath but I'm actually walking down a mountain as I'm recording this. One of the things i've noticed one of the many things i've noticed since i've been here is as i've just mentioned i'm actually in the mountains and i'm walking through a wooded area and just looking at it i could quite easily be back in the uk it doesn't look particularly dissimilar until you look and listen a little closer i don't know if you if the mic will pick it up but there's bird song in the background which sounds completely alien to my ears it's i don't know what bird it is um but but it's absolutely a beautiful sound the other thing i just a a couple of hundred meters ago I walked past uh, there's a canopy of trees overhead and I walked past uh, a caterpillar hanging from a tree and and starting to build a a cocoon that obviously it will turn into a a butterfly and I've seen some stunning butterflies here so you know the the, the fact that butterflies exist here is no great surprise but I saw one and thought well that's unusual don't see that every day back in the UK I've walked another couple of hundred meters and there are hundreds of these caterpillars just suspended from the, the, the canopy of trees. When when all of those hatch, this place will just be alive with butterflies, and they are beautiful. Uh, I've saw I saw one earlier, um, black and green. I don't know the breed. I will look it up at that when I get back. But absolutely beautiful and enormous. I mean, it was probably a, a six-inch wingspan, so a really huge butterfly, and it's it's just just a stunningly beautiful place to be. I, 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 I don't want to sound, as I said before, I don't want to sound like an ageing hippie or anything like that. But this is one of the few trips I've been on where I actually feel blessed to be here. It's, um, it really is a breathtakingly beautiful place to be. I won't forget this in a hurry. And I've got some time to myself and I'm just strolling down a mountain like one does. I've just been mulling over demolition as... I've referred to it in the past as a universal language and I still believe that to be true. I think if you get a, a group of demolition men and women in the same room, even if they don't speak the same language, they, they speak the language of demolition and, and they will find common ground. However, like language, I think there are different dialects. And I, I tend to speak demolition, not surprisingly, with a British or a European dialect or accent. And uh, you know, one of the reasons that, that the European Demolition Association, uh, the European Demolition Association, forgive me, has chosen to come to Japan is to try to understand the Japanese dialect or accent. And one of of the things that surprises me is if you think about the UK and France, for example, we're separated by a very small stretch of water, maybe 25, 26 miles across. And yet the UK does demolition slightly differently to our, our colleagues in France. If you think about France, Germany and Italy, they're all neighboring, but they all do things in a slightly different way take that across the, the, the globe as far as Japan for example and you know the, the differences are really marked one of the things that I've, I've noticed and I, I haven't actually been physically on a demolition site yet but one of the things I have noticed driving past a few is the fact that the Japanese seem to like um, fixed attachments rather than um, powered rotation on their attachments they seem to like the fixed ones I don't know what the the thinking behind that is. I I know for a fact that Okada, for example, produces um, powered rotation attachments, but the Japanese seem to prefer fixed. Now, whether that's just a tradition thing, um, I I really don't know. It'll be interesting to to try to understand that uh, as the trip goes on. Now, I've no idea if you'll be able to hear me now. Um, I'm sat by what I believe is called the Nunobiki. I'm, I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. But it's a set of waterfalls um, that, that go down the side of the mountain. And it's absolutely beautiful. It looks freezing cold, mind you, but it's absolutely beautiful in the sunshine. And uh, it just struck me. I, I remember reading a quote, I think it was from Bill Bryson, um, And he, <laughs> he said that the British will happily sit in a car for four hours. But if they see water at the end of it, they've had a day out. And I always laughed at that. But having seen this I, I admittedly i haven't spent four hours in a car but it's so true there's something very very relaxing about water and waterfalls in particular i'd quite happily sit here for the for the rest of the day to be honest uh, if it's unlikely if you're a british listener it's very unlikely that that this is the case but if you ever find yourself in kobe you've really got to see it it's absolutely beautiful so i've just attended the formal dinner uh, hosted by a caterpillar Uh, one of the middle days of the European Demolition Association tour of of Japan. And I bumped into uh, an old friend, um, Stefano Panseri of Despe in Italy. Um, Anybody in the demolition industry that knows Despe will know what a a fantastic company they are. And Stefano, uh, along with his father and his brother, have have put a lot of effort into the EDA. I got to talking to uh, Stefano and he he revealed something, or a, a couple of things. That I was completely unaware of. The first was the fact that this isn't the EDA's first trip to Japan. Apparently they hosted a similar event way back about 30 years ago and on that occasion it was um, Stefano's father that came over and he took back with him a a couple of things. One of the first things that he took back was the idea of uh, hydraulic attachments that weren't hydraulic breakers. Apparently, Despé, along with a lot of Europe, were, were still using um, excavators equipped with breakers at the time. But the Japanese had pioneered the use of um, cutter crushers, pulverizers and shears. And the thinking behind that, according to Stefano, was the fact that they were considered to be more respectful in that they were quieter and they caused less intrusion to people nearby which kind of typifies the Japanese way of doing things. So, Stefano's father went back to Italy, couldn't actually afford to buy an attachment, but actually built his own. Um, Obviously, 30 years later, (coughs) those attachments are very much in in operation across Europe and certainly within the Despé fleet. The other thing, if anyone that knows Despé will tell you that they have a very striking fleet in that all their machines are painted white, um, which, From a practical standpoint, I've always had question marks about, but in the same way that the Real Madrid soccer team look fantastic in white, Despain machines and the Cardem machines in France as well just look stunning in white. And apparently that concept also came from Japan. Um, Stefano's father once again got to talking to uh, a Japanese contractor during the first trip here like 30 years ago and was asking why they had painted their machine and the explanation was quite simple and the, the guy basically said that when the machine was built caterpillar owned it but once he had bought it he owned it and he wanted it in his colors rather than caterpillars so once again despay machines are white because of that trip to japan and as stefano put it the, the display that we see today would not be the way it is today had it not been for that trip to japan 30 years ago So it raised a question with me, what it is that that Stefano himself will take back from this trip to Japan. Obviously I I, I guess the world has shrunk so technology is, is almost universally available. So it was unlikely that he was going to come here and see anything revolutionary in terms of equipment. But I think one of the things that he will take away, and I certainly will, is the Japanese way of doing business. He's been fortunate enough to visit two or three different factories now. He's been to Kibelko and Komatsu, and Hitachi. We're going to the Caterpillar factory tomorrow. And throughout, there has been, um, I guess, an overriding, an overarching feeling of respect. There's not been shouting and hollering and swearing at the factories. Everybody is treated with respect and with politeness. And I, I, I'm, I'm taking Stefano's words here. He the way he explained it was, he's Italian, you know, the Italians like to shout and, and wave their arms about. But he is going to take away that idea of, of being more considerate and quieter and, and more respectful. And if if we all do that, even if only Stefano does that, surely that makes the trip worthwhile. Um, I've, I've been critical of, of trade associations in the past. Um, I've worked for trade associations in the past and continue to do so but I have to say that based on the the little bit I've seen so far it it really is hats off to the European Demolition Association. The way that that we learn the way that we continue to learn is by shared experience and as I mentioned earlier I think the Japanese demolition industry has evolved in a bubble and that bubble is now open to the world and the fact that the, the EDA has brought a contingent of like-minded contractors to experience that. And it's a two-way experience. I think the Japanese will be learning from the Europeans. The Europeans will be learning from the Japanese. And I think the European party themselves, the conversation around the table this evening was, you know, there were lots. There was Norwegians and Dutch and a guy from Saudi Arabia, and another one from India, two from New Zealand, one from the UK. And they were all sharing experience. I, I will be astounded if anyone leaves Japan, and certainly Kobe, having not learnt anything. Um, and for that, I have to say, the EDA has done a, a fantastic job. So, here's a first. Um, I'm recording this at roughly 400 kilometres an hour, because I'm on the famous bullet train. We've just left the um This is shimo We've just left the Akashi plant for Caterpillar. If you can hear a, a noise in the background, that's either the train or the announcements to say that we're pulling into Osaka on our way to Tokyo. Just wanted to recap on what we saw at the Akashi the plant with Caterpillar. Um, obviously saw the new 340 straight boom excavator and the 340 f uh, ultra-high demolition and got a sneak preview uh, of another new machine which they, they haven't yet named which we weren't allowed to photograph but that looks like that will be around about maybe a year away um, but that looks a very impressive machine as well but the plant itself uh, dates back to 1963 and it used to be a mitsubishi plant and it was actually responsible for the construction supposedly uh, or according to legend of japan's first ever hydraulic excavator Um, There is a model of it, or there there is actually a a full-size model in the uh, factory itself, it's called a Jumbo, Uh, it's done out all in silver, Um, and as I say, it goes back to to 1963 or thereabouts. There's a lot of debate obviously among the uh, Japanese manufacturers about who actually created the first, but this apparently was the first. Um, Obviously, Caterpillar and Mitsubishi had a bit of a joint venture way back when in the uh, late 80s and that's gradually resolved itself and and changed and altered over the years. And I think one of the striking things about the the plant itself, it certainly wasn't the most modern, but in a lot of ways it it was kind of, it it kind of reflected the the, the Japanese way. Um, It was a, a real mix of old and new. So the, the factory itself is quite old, but what they're producing is is real state of the art, you know, advanced electronics and guidance and all that kind of thing. And it's also a, a mix of tradition and and, and and modern, I guess, in the fact that you know the, the way that the factory is laid out, the way that they they operate, even the way that the uh, the workers there are dressed is, is very traditional and very very Japanese. But again, you know, the the sort of things that they're turning out there, like the 340 straight boom. It really is absolutely state-of-the-art. So It really is like a microcosm of, of Japan. It's it's a mix of old and new and modern and, and traditional. Um, it's a trip that I, I certainly won't forget. Um, and it's just getting better. We're, as I say, we're on the bullet train now, which is is something I've always wanted to do. And I'm doing 400 kilometers an hour and you really wouldn't know it. Um, it's quieter than any train I've ever traveled on in the UK or anywhere else for that matter. Um, but it's about three times the speed. So. Uh, yeah, we're just pulling into Osaka now, and then going on to Kyoto, and ultimately to uh, Tokyo as well. Not sure if, if the route goes nearby, but um, I, I know that Mount Fuji is on the way, so I should be keeping an eye out for that. Not that that will work particularly well in audio format. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been an absolutely fascinating trip, and, and we're not done yet. The final day of the trip to Japan was absolutely packed. Um, I'll tell you more in a second. The, the original idea for this part, I was going to record this actually at Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam, uh, which is where I got my transfer back to London and ultimately to home. Um, but I couldn't find anywhere quiet in uh, Schiphol Airport and I also thought that it might be an idea to take a couple of days to reflect on, on what I'd seen and what I'd heard and what I'd learned as well. Now in the interim I, I have actually developed a cough So if I do sound like Barry White in parts of this, uh, I apologise, nothing I can do about it. I'll I'll try and cut out the the wheezing as best I can. So going back to the final day of the trip to Japan, and and to be honest, the final day was was probably the highlight. It started with a trip to Caterpillar's Sagami factory, uh, which is currently being demolished. Now it was was opened in 1963, um, originally to build D4 uh, track type tractors, or dozers as most of us know them. Um, and it gradually evolved to take on um, small wheel loaders, uh, small dozers, and probably best known for its mini excavators. Um, but that factory has now reached the end of its its natural life and is being demolished. You, you kind of need to see it, uh, and we have got some video coming um, fairly soon. But you kind of need to see it to understand just how big it is. Uh, it's 73 acres, almost entirely sort of two and occasionally three-level buildings and to take that down there are currently 55 caterpillar machines or caterpillar caterpillar excavators on there Um, and that's going to rise to 80 as works progress so it's an absolutely vast site there was a good many things that we picked up as we were going around the site first of all was the fact that the Japanese have a bit of a thing about uh, concrete crackers equipped with magnets in in the UK and, and certainly in Europe the tendency tends to be you, you break up the concrete and then you pass over with a, a magnet separately uh, to, to, to extract the steel. In Japan they do it as they as an ongoing process. I can kind of understand the Japanese approach, um, and it, again it speaks to the Japanese way of, of doing things in a very organized fashion. I can't help thinking though that a, a magnet, and they are big magnets, um, add additional weight. So you're constantly lugging around a lot of weight which obviously will have an impact on, on fuel consumption, but again I'm, I'm sure there are there's a pros and cons of, of all these things. Uh, second thing that, that we noticed was the site had five, six, possibly even more uh, mini, mini cranes or mini telehandlers all on tracks, all equipped with dust suppression units on top of the boom, so you could actually get the water where it's needed. Now I've seen a good few, um, certainly UK and a few European companies, using uh, things like telehandlers. I know AR Demolition use a Manitou um, telescopic handler to get their dust suppression unit up to where it's needed. But these track mounted machines are really compact so you know they they pass through the 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 inside of a building or through a doorway and the fact that they're on tracks also allows them to go pretty much anywhere. So I I think that's one that, that is worth watching. Again they appear in the video so you'll be able to see those as well. I think one of the things that stood out for for me and certainly for some of the other contractors there was the fact that the Japanese seem to have thrown a lot of machines at this project, but none of them seem to be working particularly hard. I think the European way of doing things tends to be we'll throw the minimum number of machines required to keep our our costs down, our fuel costs down, our our labour costs down, but we will work them as hard as possible. The Japanese seem to do it in reverse in that they throw a lot of machines at it but don't work any of them particularly hard. Quite how that pans out in terms of fuel consumption it would take somebody far better at maths to calculate that but I think in terms of wear and tear on the machines there must be a benefit to the Japanese method. And I guess one final thing that you will spot in the video when we release it which will not be very long now Um, there is a tower standing high above the site with the Caterpillar logo emblazoned on it. That will be taken down in June or July time Effectively to mark the symbolic end of the demolition, so the landscape around Sagami will change forever uh, And that land will be redeveloped. My guess is for housing or that sort of thing. Just one final point on the Sagami factory Um, Demolition magazine will be doing an in-depth report on the uh, the EDA study tour and that will be a a key part of it Um, So keep an eye out for that. A coach then took us back uh, into Tokyo Uh, More precisely the coach took us to um, the European Union Embassy in Tokyo where we met our ministers from uh, the Japanese Parliament um, we also had representatives there from uh, the Japanese Demolition Contractors Association or the JDCA so there was a networking opportunity for the Europeans and the Japanese to exchange stories and exchange business cards and that kind of thing but the EDA and the JDCA had also laid on uh, a conference and seminar so it was an opportunity for the Europeans to explain certain aspects of what they do and then the Japanese to explain certain aspects of what they do. And it made for fascinating listening. There were lots of questions, particularly from the Japanese, asking about how and why the Europeans do things in a certain way. As you would expect, again, as I've said previously, you know, the Japanese demolition industry has evolved in a bubble uh, and this was their opportunity to peer outside that bubble to see how the Europeans go about their business. That formal part of the event was brought to to a close with um, some closing remarks from uh, Christopher Godek, the National Demolition Association president. If you listen to Demolition News Radio, um, you you will be receiving a a brief audio podcast that I recorded with Chris uh, just after he'd spoken. And to be honest, the the interview that I did with Chris was inspired by what he said as part of his, his closing remarks. And one of the things that he said really summed up, it summed up the demolition industry, but it really summed up the purpose of the demolition uh, study tour to Japan. And he he used on a number of occasions the term brotherhood, um, the demolition brotherhood. And he talked of the fact that demolition contractors, regardless of their country of origin, regardless of their native language, they have a common bond, they have a, a, a common tie. Uh, a common language they have a shared experience they have a sh- uh, shared stories and that was so evident right the way through the week more specifically on the final day when when the Europeans and the Japanese got to exchange stories but that was going on the entire time we were in Japan you know every time we got on a coach or there were two, there were two coaches in fact that t- took us to most places and nobody ever sat with the same person twice so you had the the Brits talking to the Italians, the Italians talking to the Spanish, the Spanish talking to the French and so on down the line and it was all basically about demolition you know I'll be I'll be genuinely astounded if anybody left that study tour having not taken away some insight or some nugget of information that they can now apply to their business to make their business better to make it safer for their their staff and for local residents and that really was the, the ultimate goal, I guess, of, of the EDA study tour. It, it is to to make the, the world of demolition better. And I'll be astounded if it hasn't at least partly achieved that. So I guess we've talked about Chris Godek's uh, closing remarks. I guess we're at the time for my closing remarks. And I'm disappointed that there was only one British contractor there. Um, but that really was my only, my only criticism of the entire event. Logistically, it was superb. Um, the places that we saw were well prepared and, and fascinating. Um, and really and truly, I, I guess, my, my closing remarks are a series of thank yous. I'd like to thank Caterpillar and Finning for allowing me to actually attend the thing in the first place. Um, I certainly couldn't have done it without them. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for them having afforded me that opportunity. I'd like to thank my fellow delegates for making it such an enjoyable visit. I'm very, very grateful, and I think all the delegates were, to uh, the EDA General Secretary Jose Blanco and his team for making the things just run so effortlessly. Despite the fact that it was an educational trip, and despite the fact that there was so much information crammed into a relatively short space of time, it was fun, it was entertaining. It, you know, I've I've come away with a, with a bunch of new friends that I've never met before. I've come away with some fantastic experiences that I'm still telling friends and family about, but I learned at the same time. And I think I think Jose and his, his team really deserve a lot of credit for having made that mix just perfect, education and entertainment just a perfect mix. And I guess the, the, the final word really should be to um, the Japanese Demolition Contractors Association and, and probably more generally to the Japanese people who were just completely welcoming, completely warm, uh, generous with their time, generous with their hospitality, they, they made the visit just a, an absolute pleasure. So to the EDA, to Caterpillar, to Finney, to my fellow delegates and, and most of all to the people of Japan, Arigato, it was fantastic.